Good morning. I, I, again, I'm, I'm grateful to be here uh, this morning. wish it was under different circumstances. I hate that uh, Pastor Brian and, and uh, his son, have been, they've been sick with, they did test positive for flu, uh, but negative for, for COVID. And so I, I, you know, I'm, they, everybody seems to be on the mend, but I, I am always grateful to be, uh, uh, to be in front of you, to come to talk to you a little bit about what, 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 what we've actually been looking at. This series has been a great series, and uh, we've been talking about change. And man, let me tell you who's a, who's a master of change, and that's Pastor Brian. That dude loves change. He's addicted to it. Uh, and so, uh, I, I, man, I, I, it's hard for me to keep up uh, with him, but he's, he's great to talk about that because he really, he, he, man, he rolls with the punches so well. And so we've been looking at this, talking about change, and the fact is, man, the only thing that doesn't change is the fact that everything changes. Change is inevitable. It's happening. It's happening in your life right now. We, life is not neutral. I, I, I am one that, I struggle with that, man. I have shirts that need to be thrown away because they were mine in high school, and I am not high school size anymore. And uh, I'm two of Gary when he was in high school. And, uh, man, I just can't get rid of them. It drives Kayla crazy. My, my T-shirt drawer right now is folded, all folded, and then shirts on top of shirts folded because I can't get rid of them, man. I struggle with change. I struggle with that stuff. And, and it's that way in my, my life as well, all the way across. It's especially true in your spiritual life. Your spiritual life is never neutral. You're always going one way or another. You're moving toward God or you're moving away from God. And this is where we're going to land today. As we finish up this series, we've looked at change. We've looked at uh, the $5 word sanctification. It just means that the process of becoming more like Jesus. We've looked at procrastination, how easy that is. But today we're going to look at something a little different. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to wrap up this series, and uh, we, we, we're going to kind of hone in really on our role in this. We're, we're going to kind of lean into that, that sanctification talk, but we're going to look a little bit at our role because God's role is very defined. God's role uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says this, that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. You want to know God's will for your life? Jesus. That you look like Jesus. That's God's will for your life. It's God's will for my life that, that he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That when people see Gary, they think, wow, I bet you that's what Jesus looked like. That's a struggle, man. That's a lot, but that's, that's, that's what he's doing. Uh, this is what God's doing in you right now. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 tells us this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God is at work in you. You want to know where God is right now? He's at work in you. Sitting here right now, he's doing something. He's doing something in us right now. Even if you're about to fall asleep, he's doing it, man. He is working his good will and his good pleasure. What he is doing is he is making you look more like Jesus. Maybe that's through conviction. Maybe that's through, through, through sharpening your gifts. Whatever he may be doing, he is doing something in you. So that is what God is doing. He is at work. He is busy. He is going. So now what are we doing? What's our role in this? What's our end of the deal? So I guess our main thought today is this. We'll let the cat out of the bag. It's this, 
that cultivating spiritual habits fuels change and growth. Cultivating spiritual habits fuels change and growth. This is what we're to be doing. Let me show you. Let me show you real quick. You actually don't have to look too far. In Philippians chapter, we just read Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. If we look at the verse just before it, verse 12, it says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Here it goes. This is Paul talking to them. This is what he says. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Our lives are to be spent working out what God did. God did in a moment. You're saved. Now what? Now I spend the rest of my life trying to figure that out. Trying to lean into that a little bit. That word work carries the idea of doing something to see results. It's purposeful. That I'm looking at my life and I'm looking to do things on purpose to work out my salvation. It says there fear and trembling. Those are kind of interesting words. That word fear it, it carries with it the idea of reverence for a spouse. That's, 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 that's what it breaks down to, reverence for a spouse, fear. Huh. I know that. <laughs> I, married a, I married a southern girl. I know, I know fear. Uh, the, 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 the reverence for your, for your spouse, it really is just that you revere them, that you, when, when they walk in the room, that's who you see. I'm glad to see them when the, in a sea of all these faces. I'm glad to see her. It's reverence for a, for a spouse. That's what fear means. And, uh, trembling is an interesting word. It means this. It's the anxiety of one who distrusts his ability completely, to completely meet all the requirements. That's what, that's what trembling means, that I have this fear that I can't do this. And, and the Bible's acknowledging that fact that when it drops on me that I'm to be more like Jesus, that is a daunting, that is a daunting task. And the Bible's, the Bible's admitting that. I know it's going to be daunting. Approach it anyway. Approach that anyway, that I have to be like Jesus, and that is what I'm to be working out my salvation, to be more like Jesus, and that's why the verse is followed by, it is God who works in you and who will act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Just keep pressing on, and God will do his work. But the question is, how do I work it out? How do I do that? How do I work out this, this salvation? Paul wrote to a young man named Timothy a couple of letters. Timothy was a young Christian, number one. Number two, he was trying to become a pastor. And he was struggling a little bit. He was a little bit nervous. He's young. He is, and Paul's trying to tell him, man, you got this, you've got this. He struggled a little bit. And Paul's given us some advice on various topics. And the section we're at here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is just telling him a little bit about false teachers and the, the things they're going to talk about. And all, even all the way down to food, uh, false teachers will find anything to get people distracted. They're talking about food even. And Paul just says, tell them that, that God's not, he's not, he's not honed in there. It's bigger than this. And then he says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 6, he says this. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that, that you have followed. Have nothing to do, verse 7, with godless myths and old wives' tales, but rather 
This is to be your focus, Timothy, is what Paul is saying. But rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy statement that uh, that deserves full acceptance. So the question is, how do I work out my salvation, or how do I change and grow? And verse 7 says, I train myself to be godly. Do you know whose responsibility it is to train you to be godly? Yours. Mine. I can't hang that on anybody else. I can't hang it on my parents who were good parents. I can't hang it on some of the great pastors I've had. I can't hang it on any of them. Paul tells him, train yourself to be godly. You've got to, you've got to take responsibility. I have to take responsibility for my own spiritual life. It is not hanging on anybody else's hook. It's mine. That's what Paul's trying to get him to understand. And he says, he, he, he kind of equates it a, a little bit with, with working out. In fact, that word train is where we get our word gymnasium. People go to the gymnasium for, for, for purposeful activity. You know, just meander in there and stuff's happening. People are there to work out, to train. And in Ephesus, it was that way. They were, there was, that was expected of all the young men to be inside training for games and things like that. And so they are working out. And he says, man, that's good. It has some value. Working out has value. But if all you do is work out your physical life, man, it's not going to make you a good dad. It's not going to make you a good church member. It's not going to make you a good husband, wife. It's not going to make you a good uh, sibling, child. It has its value. Working out, physical uh, uh, exertion, things like that are going to help you in some arenas. But Paul says, but godliness, it has value for all things. It never hurts. Ready? It never hurts to look like God, ever. In any situation, in any, in any realm of your life, it never hurts. There is nothing on this planet that doesn't, is not impacted by, by, by God. And so that, that I, would, I would have that in my own relationships or, or things like that. Being like Jesus impacts people positively. If I'm more like Jesus, I'm going to be a better husband. If I'm more like Jesus, I'm going to be a better dad. I'm going to be a better friend. I'm going to be a better employee all the way around. Here's the problem. Just like where Paul's talking about working out, you already know that. Like, I'm not telling you anything. I'm not trying to heap guilt on you or me. Like, I don't have to tell you you need to work out. Kayla tells me that all the time, right? You need to work out. When I say I need new pants, she says, no, you need to work out. (laughs) You don't have to tell me that. Nobody nobody has to tell you that we need to eat better, right? Nobody has to tell you, we need to eat better. We need to work out. We need to spend some time in physical activity. You need to do that. Nobody has to tell you that. Just the same as nobody has to tell you you need to read your Bible, Christian. You need to pray. Nobody, Nobody has to tell you that. 
We kind of know that intuitively and maybe even feel a little bit of guilt because we don't, we don't really do it that well or ever. So there's a little bit of guilt there. And I know because I honestly, I, I, I feel it a lot in my own life. I feel that guilt that I don't, don't do it enough. Sometimes ever. Prayer, Bible says these habits that, that cultivate these things. And so I guess just telling you that's not going to really help today, right? I'm not I don't, just coming in here, heaps of guilt on you, say amen and go home, right? That, that's fun. Yay for church. Uh, what I want to do is I want to show you more on the negative side that this isn't just isolated decisions like, oh, I didn't read my Bible today. Oh, I didn't pray today. Oh, I didn't meet with my church family today. Oh, I didn't do some of these things that, that take discipline. I want to show you that it's not just isolated events, man. It's a path, and that path leads somewhere. I'm going to use a, I'm going to use a scripture uh, a kind of a lengthy scripture. It's interesting that Matthew, in Matthew chapter 26, if you want to flip over there, you're welcome to do that, Matthew chapter 26. It's interesting that Matthew takes such a long time to develop this story. Now, it was an impactful story because we're arriving at the place where Jesus is about to go to the cross. And it's a lot of tension there, man. And these guys, this would have been fresh and real for them. This, this night, this stuff that went on, all right leading up to the cross would have been such a big deal, man. This was, this was monumental to them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all these guys would have been, man, that's, that's a huge deal. So I, I guess it makes sense that, he, that, 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 that Matthew was so written into this, uh, so devoted to this story, but man, it's a long story, and, and, and Peter is at the head of most of it. So we run into Peter. So where we're picking up our story is they've already had the Last Supper. Jesus has already done that with his friends, washed the feet, done all that. They are walking down now, singing a hymn is what it says. They're singing. They are going down, and Jesus decides to do something very interesting. They're, they're walking down to the ward, the Mount of Olives, and Jesus decides now's the time to drop a bomb on them because life's about to get crazy in the next hour or so. It's about to get nuts. So Jesus decides, I'm going I'm to talk to them about this. And he says this to them in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. It says this, then Jesus told them, this very night, you all will fall away on account of me. For it is written, and he's quoting Zechariah here, he says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after, after I have risen, I will go ahead of, uh, unto you in Galilee. So Jesus tells them what's going to happen, the, and, the, and the fact that the Bible predicted this would happen, but this is the night that Bible prophecy is going to be fulfilled, that I am going to be taken, and you're going to run away from me, and you're going to abandon me. He tells them that. And Peter says in verse 33, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Now, I don't know about your life, but that's Peter correcting Jesus. Jesus just told him what will happen. When Jesus speaks in emphatics, it is scripture. It's true. And Jesus says, you will do this tonight. And Peter says, no, not me. I never will, Jesus. You are wrong. 
My mom would say that's big britches. Right? That's big britches right there. You're wrong, Jesus. To which Jesus looks at him now and hones in on Peter and he says this. This, this thought that, 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 that you never will. He says, not only will you abandon me, but you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times tonight. And Peter says in verse 35, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. That's twice he's told Jesus in the span of two minutes, you're wrong. Now before we harp on Peter, we live our lives like that, right? Like I live my life like that, like I don't need Jesus, like I don't, there's things I do, there's things, this, this is why I make some of the decisions I make, this is probably what keeps me from Bible reading, from prayer, from church, I don't need it. It's not all that beneficial, it's just a conscience game, right? I just want to tick it off a box so I can move along with my day. And so what we're seeing here is self-confidence. I guess lightly we'll call it self-confidence, that, that Peter, even though he's being very arrogant in the fact that he's correcting Jesus, and he's kind of insinuating that Jesus doesn't know Peter very well because I won't fall away, that he forgets that Peter created, I mean, that, that Jesus created Jupiter, the Atlantic Ocean, your Labrador, and Peter, right? But, oh, you don't know me very well. Very self-confident here. That's where it starts. Lack of spiritual discipline in our lives starts there. It starts with a self-confidence that I've got this. I don't need Jesus involved in these areas of my life. I don't need to, to, to slide into the scriptures. I don't need to do any of that because I got this. And that's where he's at. So Jesus Leaves it there. In fact, all the disciples make the same claim in this passage. They make the same claim. He, he, he goes a little further, walks a little further, and they, they go to this place called Gethsemane. And he asks them to pray for him because he's struggling. He says, it's heavy on me right now. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. It's heavy on me. And I, I'm sure it all was. I'm sure not only the looming cross and the stuff that Jesus is going to have to go through, the scourging, what these people were about to do, these people that he loved are about to do to him, that's weighing heavy on him. But not only that, I think, I think the fact that these disciples are behaving like this is weighing on him. And so he says, I want you guys to pray. I'm going to go a little bit farther and get along with the Lord myself. And, and let's just pray this out. And it says this, verse 40 says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he says, couldn't you, men, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asks Peter that question, it says. Isn't that interesting? There's ten of them here. Judas is gone, about to do his deal. And, and he says this, Peter he asks Peter that question specifically. And he, he says, watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. And he says this, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think he is looking at Peter. Because Peter's flesh is, I mean, Peter's spirit is willing, right? He just said, right? He just said that 
that I will never fall away from you. That is Peter's spirit. His, his intentions are, I will never do this to you, Jesus. But Jesus says, but the flesh is weak. See, what you gotta know about yourself, you, you got great intentions, man. You do. Me too. I have great intentions. But my intentions have led to a lot of struggle in my life where I intend to be uh, connected husband, connected dad, but how it plays out when I get home changes. Tired, headache, the balls are losing again. All this plays into this. The flesh gets weak. We have good intentions when it comes to the scriptures, when it comes to praying, when it comes to, to even right here at the beginning of the year where we have the, the, the first day of the, of the year, January 1st, we're going to be, we're going to change, man. We got good intent. But the flesh is weak. And Jesus is looking right at Peter and says, man, you got to be careful here. And Jesus just wanted them to pray. But when you're self-confident, you don't need to pray. No need for it. You're not relying on him. You're relying on you. So let's get some sleep. It's all good in the hood, man. Let's just get some sleep and, 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 and just, just go with that. So he tells them. He, he falls asleep. Self-confidence, self-confident people don't need to pray. So self-confidence leads to prayerlessness. I want you to follow this path. We're on a path here. Self-confidence leads to prayerlessness. So this, this happens three times. I think that's interesting. It happens three times. Jesus comes back. Uh, they're asleep. He goes back. He comes back. They're asleep. And finally he just says, get up. Let's go. Namely because he starts to see the flickering of torches. And somebody's coming up the way. His buddy Judas is coming up there. And he's about to sell him out with a cohort of soldiers. And so there's these soldiers, there's this confrontation with Jesus and these soldiers, and Peter does something very interesting. Peter grabs his sword, and this passage just tells one of the disciples, John sells Peter out and tells us who it was. Peter grabs his sword, and here's where we struggle. Either Peter is a killer swordsman, like, like they didn't have CrossFit men, maybe he just did like sword play or whatever. Either he's unbelievable or he's terrible, right? But he cuts this guy's ear off. He cuts the guy's ear. So, I mean, like, I would be standing there, and I guess I would just play it off like I was the man. Like, I'd twirl my sword and be like, yeah, there's plenty more where that came from. Pick your ear up. But, but Jesus, he cuts this guy's ear. The guy's name is Malchus. Cuts his ear off, and Peter, or Jesus says this. Put your sword back in its place, verse 52, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you not think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legion of angels? Verse 54. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In all of this, Peter, Peter had forgotten this is the way it was supposed to be. Not only had he grown up hearing those prophecies that this is exactly how it's supposed to be, the Messiah is supposed to be taken, the Messiah is supposed to be headed down this way, this is the way it's supposed to happen. Not only the scriptures, but Jesus had been telling him this for a while. 
And Jesus, in this moment, I mean, you, you couldn't, you, you cut the guy's ear off, you know he's probably jacked. He's probably sitting there like, bring it on. Anybody else want some of this? And Jesus is all like, this is how it's supposed to happen, man. This is the scriptures. This is, this is what I've told you. Whoa. So it caused Peter to act impulsively. He forgot the scriptures, and he started acting impulsively. This is exactly how the pattern, this is the path. Are you starting to see it? Self-confidence leads to prayerlessness. Prayerlessness leads to forgetfulness and leads to impulsion. Impulsiveness. This is the path. This is where we go. When we don't think we need God, we don't think we need to spend any time with God, we don't think we need to spend any time with Jesus, that's self-confident. Prayer, it leads to prayerlessness. We no longer need to pray. And then we, we, we arrive at a place where we start to make impulsive decisions. We start to make decisions that, that forget what the scriptures say. And here we go. We're on this, this, this path. So then Jesus is taken at that moment. He is taken, and he is taken to the high priest's house. There is this mock trial, and he is, he is drug out there, and they are separated. All the disciples, guess what? Scatter. Bible prophecy, Jesus was right. Peter somehow works up enough nerve to go back. And he runs to the, to the, to the place, to the uh, high priest's house, and he's, he's there, and he is warming himself by the fires, and, and he's there in this presence. And let me, I'll just finish off, I'll read you the last few verses of 26, just so you kind of get the sense, because it, it, it lays it all out for you. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl, not like a big dude, like a servant girl, came up to him, and he says, you were also with Jesus of Galilee. She said, verse 7, he says, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where there was another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of, of Nazareth, and he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives it away. I don't know what Galileans sound like, but they must have had an accent, y'all. Your accent gives it away. And then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, which Jesus said would happen. And then Peter remembered that Jesus, uh, the word of Jesus had spoken, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. And on his way out to weep bitterly in his shame, Jesus walks by and looks at him. I mean, it's, it's just a tragic story. But there's the culmination. Self-confidence leads to prayerlessness. Prayerlessness leads to forgetfulness and impulsiveness. And impulsiveness leads to compromise. It's a path. P Peter didn't realize he was on this slippery slope. He didn't, he didn't need Jesus at this point. Here's, here's the deal. Like This has nothing to do with his love or respect for Jesus. He loved and respected Jesus. He loved him. He just fell into this trap that he's got it going on, man. He didn't need Jesus. He didn't need to remember Scripture. He didn't need to pray, and his world collapsed. This is Peter's path. 
and it's our path if you don't think we don't need spiritual disciplines in our own lives. This is our path. Pastor Brian talked about change, that we're always moving, and we are always moving toward or away from God, and this is the path we're on. If, if, we're, if we're not actively moving towards God on purpose, then you are moving away from him, and this is what it looks like. So all you have to do is press pause and see if you're at any stage here. Do you think you got it? How's your prayer life? How's your dealing with the scriptures? Are you making impulsive decisions? This is, this is, it's, a, it's an easy thing to see here. It's a path we're on. One of my favorite songs is Disaster Road by Need to Breathe, and it says this, I should have seen this coming a million miles ago. I've been blindly running down Disaster Road. This is Disaster Road right here. Peter was on Disaster Road. If you know the story, the rest of the story, we find it in John 21. So grateful John didn't just finish his gospel because it felt like in chapter 20 he finished his gospel, but he decides to add one more chapter, and it's fantastic. It wasn't really a chapter back then. He was just writing. But. And he writes this, this culmination of what happened. And Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee, and Peter had gone back to his normal life of fishing. And Jesus is waiting there, and they can't catch any fish, if you know the story. They're frustrated. They're tired. They've been catching fish, and all of a sudden, they don't know it's Jesus, but on the, on the, on the shore, some dude yells, why don't you try throwing your net on the other side? You know these people, right? Like, why don't you try it this way? Y'all ever golfed? That's like every golfer I've ever played with. Like, why don't you try it this way? Okay, bro. I'm terrible. It's not going to help. And so, like, that, that's the deal. So he, Jesus yells, why don't you try throwing them out? And they threw it on the other side, and immediately, 153 fish, the Bible tells us. Specifically, John wrote that, and he was a fisherman, so he, man, he kept count, right? And they were this big. And they kept count, 153 fish, that the nets were breaking. And immediately, Peter forgot all about fishing, and he looks, and he says, that's Jesus, because there's only one that commands fish. And he dives in the water. And he swims to Jesus, and you know what Jesus has? I mean, Jesus is just, the nuance of Jesus in the scriptures is awesome. You know what Jesus has cooking? Fish. <laughs> like, what, what, what kind of move is that? Like, they're out there toiling all night trying to get fish. Jesus just commands them to hop up on the fire. Right? And so he's got these fish cooking, and he's eating with Peter, and he starts to talk to Peter, and he asks him, do you love me? Peter says, you know I do, and he asks him this three times. That's three times for denial. That's three times for lack of prayerlessness. Man, Jesus anticipated this. He anticipated it. He anticipated Peter's failure. Ready? We're about to drop it. He anticipates my failure and your failure. And you know where Jesus is at? He's not scolding you on some throne right now. He's by a fire waiting for you to come and talk to him about it. And he's going to say, do you love me? And you're going to say, you know I do. You know I love It's not about love. I just, I just got busy with my life, and I thought that I had this all under control. And Jesus is like, I know. I know. This wasn't a question of love. This was a question of I just let things get out of hand. And Peter let things get out of hand. And, man, he didn't, he didn't let things get out of hand again. There was a few hiccups here and there. We find even in Galatians, there's a few hiccups. But Peter was a pretty straight arrow from then on. 
And so I, I guess in, in, in application today, man, it's hard for me just to tell you to read your Bible because you know that. And, and it's hard for me just to tell you you just need to pray or, or you need to be with your church family or you need to worship because I, I think you know that. Peter, the one who denied Christ, was writing some years later to the people that were being persecuted. And knowing that persecution can often cause people to struggle spiritually, he tells them this in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and his goodness. He's telling these people, you have everything you need for a godly life. You have everything you need for a godly life. You have everything you need for a godly life. Y'all are kind of frowning. I thought you would smile. You have everything you need for a godly life. How? Through the knowledge of him. You know where him is? Are? Is? You know where him is at? I don't know how to say it. Him is in the Bible. Him is in the scriptures. Jesus is here. This is where we get the full disclosure of Jesus and his life. Christian, sitting here right now, you have everything you need for a godly life, and you have the Holy Spirit that has wired you for exactly how you are. You know what that means? That you and I are not gonna probably read the Bible the same way. I could give you a reading plan. I could. I could send you to, to places like Reading Plan, the app for your phone. It's a fantastic app, Reading Plan. It's fantastic. I could send you to Echo Prayer, a fantastic app for me but maybe not for you. God's wired you in a certain way and your connection with him may look different. It may come through music. It may involve art. It may involve, for me, analytical, man. Give me all the books, right? Set them all out in front of me, man. That's, that's more fun for me than, than drawing a picture. Or art, I shouldn't say drawing a picture. For artistic purposes. Because it makes it sound like, I'm not belittling, you just, artists and, and so that's who I am I'm, I'm analytical and so this is this is what we're talking about here we read the scriptures in a different way in the light of how you connect to God he's wired you differently and that is okay sometimes we, we heap a lot of guilt on ourselves because we're trying to do what somebody else does and fit it into our own life and it doesn't work so we think we're the problem Sometimes you're not the problem. It's how you're connecting is the problem. As long as you're connecting with the scriptures and through prayer and worshiping, how you do that is up to you, man. How, how you feel and, and, and you feel you're best connected to God. This is why this is so hard for me to, to, to kind of just give it to you in, in, in you should do this. You just need to form habits. We need consistency. In the way we approach God. However you approach God and his word and his people, you just need to be consistent at it. We need to ask for help. But often it's not in doing it. You, you and I both know we need to do it. The problem is what? Time. We, have, we don't have time. Until you look at statistics, right? Average person spends... 144 minutes on social media. 144, just, just shy of two and a half hours a day on social media. 
Average person spends around three hours watching TV a day, average American. Time's not an issue, right? Facebook is there, Twitter is there. We just need to learn how to manage these things. They're not altogether bad, but they can be. John Piper said this, one of the greatest uses for Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. We could go on and on with these, with these stats like this, but at the end of the day, it comes down to me training myself in godliness. You know you. All, all our schedules are different. All of our bents are different. You need to learn how to train yourself, whatever that looks like. If that's the commute, and you listen to the word then, or interact with the word then, great. If it's later at night, Great. If it's out when you're somewhere else, great. Just figure it out for you because you have to train yourself in godliness. I will leave you with three simple steps. If this is kind of newer to you, then start small. Start small. Whether it's the scriptures or prayer, start small. Just a chapter or a section. Or, or just tell God, I'm trying to lean into you more. And, 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 and just start small. Start small. Start today, a la the series title. I'll do it tomorrow. We want you to start today. Today. Make time today to do something different. Do it today. Find some time for the scriptures. Find some time for prayer today. And for those of you that may have been in it a little bit, start over. If you've let it slide, if you had a plan and you let it slip, start over. God has welcomed you just as he did Peter, man. Come to the fire do you love me? Yes. Then let's go back into it. Let's go. You have everything you need for a godly life, Peter told us. Everything you need. Everything. I mean, aside from podcasts, aside from, from even pastors or whatever, you have everything you need for a godly life. You do. Sitting there right now, Christian, you do. I do. We must train ourselves to do it. We must cultivate the habits that best fit us. Proverbs 16.3 wisely said, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. Commit to the Lord, man. I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to read it to find him. However that looks. I'm going to listen to it to find him. I'm going to, however you're going to interact with I'm going to pray to get to know God more, even if that's two minutes, even if that's 20 minutes or whatever that looks like. You commit yourself to the Lord, and he will establish your ways. God will take that commitment, and he will establish your ways. Why? Because he's working in you already. You just got to work with him. I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind to bow your head. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, and then I think Mr. Rocky's going to come and, and uh, uh, have a song. Father, we're grateful for all that you're you're doing in us right now. It's, it's a daunting task uh, for us to, to be like Jesus, but the fact that you said that you are at work in me is encouraging. That even when I'm messing up, even when I'm, man, even when I'm sinning, you're still in me working. And so I pray, Father, that I will, I will lean into you more, that I will, I will commit myself to you and let you establish my plans.
to connect with you, to meet with you, because otherwise I'm on a slippery slope. I become a self-confident Gary that leads into a prayerless Gary that is an impulsive Gary that eventually ends in collapse. Lord, I don't want that. I don't want that for my family. I don't want that for my church. I don't want that for anything. So I pray that you'll help us today, each one of us to renew and, uh, and look at this with new eyes today, how we can connect with you the way you created us to connect with you. You created us for a relationship, and we need to figure out how you created us to connect with you. Each one of us is different, and thank you for that. Pray that you'll be with us today, Lord, especially this last song. Help us to think for just the next few minutes on these things, or we love you. Your son's precious.